Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week's sermon is called Born of a Virgin. Why would God do that? Join us in Galatians 4. You know, Christmas time. Christmas time, we look around, and uh, I was talking with uh, Larry this morning as we gathered for prayer, and I said, you know, I, I somewhat feel for pastors as they enter into a season like this, because how many different ways can you preach Jesus Christ born in a manger? The Bible gives us some of the details. It does not give us all the details. It gives us exactly what God wants us to know about that time in history. But one thing I know about Christmas time in our society, it means different things to different people. I mean, we can go into the marketplace and we can find that to some people, Christmas is a time of, of gifts. It's a time of trees and wreaths and reindeer. And, and certainly, for many, it's a time of that jolly old Saint Nick Santa Claus. And uh, for others, uh, Christmas actually becomes a time of anger. Have you ever noticed some people uh, get angry at Christmas time because even the very mention of the word Christmas angers people because even in the word Christmas it draws our attention back to the Christ of Christmas and the reason truly for the season and the time of celebration that there exists. For some other people I think though that Christmas is a difficult time. Um, I think of those who are living in poverty. I think of uh, missionaries that we've been able to help with relief efforts in, in Haiti, in the Caribbean that suffered the hurricane. I think about the folks in Tennessee, not only the families that lost six little children in a school bus accident, but those who have lost their lives and lost their homes in the deadly fires of Tennessee. I think of the destruction that takes place all around our world. I was listening yesterday as I left uh, the office late yesterday afternoon, and I was hearing, and I, I really don't have all the details, but I was hearing of a fire that took place in Alameda County, California, in a condemned building that evidently some people had picking and actually had gone in and, and, and were using that as a place of residency. I think of people who are facing financial struggles and loneliness. I think of the families who at Christmas time are reminded of their personal loss. Many of you commented yesterday, and I'm thankful. You'll notice I didn't put out a post. Yesterday would have been my mother's 80th birthday. Yesterday would have marked 40 years that she has been gone and 40 years that she lived. And so my brothers posted some pictures of my mom when she was much younger, obviously. And uh, certainly there are people who are reminded of memories of loved ones gone, personal loss, personal memories. And, and there's some that just, it's a difficult time for many other reasons. But for the child of God... For you and I, who named the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this should be a special time. No matter our station in life, this is a time that we gather to celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it makes no difference whether we do it on March the 25th, May the 20th, April the 18th, 19th, November the 17th, or any of the other dates that people have pontificated over the years of when Jesus Christ actually was born. In our verse, the Bible says... When the fullness of time, God's concerned about time, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. And so there was a point in history when God said, enough is enough, I must send my son to redeem 
mankind. It's a time to worship. It's a time to remember. It's a time to thank God, quite frankly, for his amazing grace that we have received. It's a time to rejoice in the Redeemer of the world. It's a time, to, it's a time for love, joy, and peace. And In fact, I think of that passage in, uh, in our Bible study. Uh, Larry, we were reading uh, Luke chapter 2. And it, and it talks about uh, the shepherds, when the angel appeared unto the shepherds, and, and peace had come into the world. Oh yes, it's a time as we remember and reflect and rejoice on Christ. It's a time to, to remember this love and this joy and this peace that took place. I think about Christmas and the Christ of Christmas uh, It's also a problem for many Christians because it's a time of year that many people question the very nature of Jesus. When you come back to this idea of the Savior being born of a virgin, a lot of people will question that. I mean, let's let's think about it. We're claiming something pretty amazing. As believers, we read God's Word, and God's Word tells us that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And not only was He born of a virgin, we claim that He is the Son of God. We claim, quite frankly, that He's the only way for you and I to be forgiven of our sins. He's the only way for you and I to spend an eternity in a beautiful place that the Bible describes for us called heaven. And so there's some pretty amazing claims that we make at Christmas time and all throughout the year But certainly when it comes to this time of year, people begin to question this idea of the virgin birth. And whether you've realized it or not from the point that Travis read our scripture this morning, we find one of the most amazing claims right here in the verse that I just read for you. Notice again, verse number four. Notice what it says. It says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Now notice, made of a woman, made under the law. Did you catch it? Did you catch the amazing claim in this verse? You see, because there's no mention of a man. There's no mention of a man anywhere in this verse. You see, this verse is claiming that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was born of a virgin. And that in and of itself causes problems for many people. Because a lot of people say, well, that's just impossible. There's no way that that can take place. I mean, I I, I know that that's not how things work. And so it's pretty amazing that you would claim and you would still, over 2,000 years later, that you people would still claim that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Oddly enough, a study years ago by the theologians, a little tongue-in-cheek, by the theologians at Red Book Magazine. (laughs) I figured you'd get it. The theologians uh, uh, that uh, do some research at Red Book Magazine years ago, they polled seminary students. These are actually students who were preparing for ministry. They polled seminary students from various different denominational backgrounds, and this is what their study revealed. It revealed that only 56% of the students asked, 56% of the students that were asked about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ They actually rejected the virgin birth. At that time, a study uh, from the Research Center of the University of California in Berkeley, California, also polled people of faith, people who claimed, if you please, to be Christ followers, and uh, they they were polling them on this subject of the virgin birth, and this is what they found. 66% of Lutherans said they believe in the virgin birth. Praise the Lord. 56% 
57% of Presbyterians said they believe in the virgin birth. 39% of Episcopalians said they believe in the virgin birth. 34% of Methodists said they believe in the virgin birth. 69%, the largest group among those that were questioned, only 69% of Baptists in the United States of America said they believed in the virgin birth. So, what does that draw a conclusion for me? You may be sitting here in this, in this room this morning, and you may, be not, you may not be convinced that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Now, I, I don't condemn. I share the proof from God's word about the virgin birth. Who, who am I to pontificate or say uh, that I'm right? I believe that God is right, and his word is right. I uh, remember uh, when I was a kid, <clears throat> uh, Robert Schuller. Robert Schuller was known as the gentleman who started the uh, Crystal Cathedral in California. Uh, he was also known as uh, a theological liberal, uh, if you please. He was one of the uh, heads of liberalism of his time. And uh, that means many things. Don't go out of here and say that I said Robert Schuller didn't believe in Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, he had some liberal thoughts in theology, if you please. One of the things he said was this, in referencing the virgin birth, this is what he said. I could know, he said, I could not in print or in public deny the virgin birth of Christ. But, what have I always said when somebody uses the word but? Pay attention to what's coming next. Now listen again, he says, I could not in public or in print or in public deny the virgin birth of Christ, but when I have something that I cannot comprehend, I just don't deal with it. Folks, that's what liberalism is all about. That's what liberalism is all about. You see, most liberals will not deny the truth outright, but what they will do, in a sense, is deny it by simply refusing uh, to even think about it. They'll ignore it, if you please. Uh, they'll refuse to discuss it, and they actually refuse to actually even consider it. They just say, hey, I don't, when it comes to something I don't understand, I just don't deal with it. Okay, Let's just stop for a second. I don't understand why God so loved the world that he would send his son. I don't understand that, but I'm so thankful for it. Amen? Amen? I hope that you're thankful for it too. Because <laughs> if you're not, we're, we're, we're in pretty bad place. We're in bad shape. You see, to deny... The virgin birth is to deny the very word of God. To deny the virgin birth is to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. To deny the virgin birth is to deny the gospel. And to deny the virgin birth is actually, and I'm just the messenger, is to be still lost in sin. See, there's, there's no way that I could deny the virgin birth and then say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. That'll make sense here in a little bit. John Walvoord, who was the former president of the Dallas Theological Seminary, he's passed on to glory. This is what he said about the virgin birth. He said, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it, the whole superstructure of Christian theology depends. He went on to say and stress that the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is a foundational, non-negotiable doctrine of Christianity. It is non-negotiable is what he said. And so today I want us to consider this question. Born of a virgin, why would God do that? 
I think we could go straight to the answer, but I think it's important for those who may be sitting on the fence of this topic that we consider first the authenticity of the virgin birth and then also the consequences of the virgin birth and then I'll simply answer why. Why the virgin birth? Notice with me in verse number four, number one, the authenticity of the virgin birth. The authenticity of the virgin birth. In verse number four, notice how this phrase there where it says, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Now, I think everyone here in this room would agree that birth in and of itself is a miracle. I will tell you, I was blessed on a couple occasions to sit in the National Naval Medical Center over in Bethesda, Maryland and watch the miracle of birth. A little scary, but it was a miracle. I'm going to lie, I have been forever changed. I still love you. <laughs> But would we not consider it to be a miracle? Just to think of how the biology and the chemistry and all that works. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible to me. But some births seem more mysterious. Some births seem more miraculous. Think about a few that are mentioned in the Bible. I think about uh, Isaac, <laughs> Abraham, and Sarah. Can you imagine, we're going to have what, God? Are you kidding me? Think about Samson to Manoah and his wife. You remember Hannah. Hannah, she couldn't have a child, and she prayed for a man-child, and she said, God, if you'll give me the man-child, I'll give him right back to you. And that's exactly what God did. Think of that. I think about John the Baptist to uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias. Oh, there's some in Scripture that are, that are just a little bit more mysterious and more miraculous. And while every one of these births is miraculous, when we consider the whole story and the outline, every one of these births that I just mentioned occurred the same way. Every one of those births included or involved, if you please, a man and a woman. The implication of Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, is that Jesus came into the world without the aid of a human male. Yes, Joseph, listen, Joseph certainly was uh, uh, Jesus' earthly father, but he was not Jesus' biological father. Scripture reminds us that Jesus came into the world without man's assistance, and at his birth, it was the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy that took place years and years and years ago. You remember Adam and Eve, don't you? Adam and Eve, they were created in the Garden of Eden, and... uh, in perfect uh, in perfectness, and God gave them their instructions, and they faltered, they failed. And we find from Scripture that after they sinned, God pronounced the judgment. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Oh, what an inheritance. What an inheritance we received from Adam and Eve. You see, as God was pronouncing his judgment on Adam and Eve and and us by implication, the entire human race, as well as the serpent, that old devil, 
He made an amazing, an amazing claim and and gave an amazing prophecy. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, be reminded of what the scripture says. You see, because it says, God is speaking here. He says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And and he's speaking to Satan. And he says, between the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. You see, the translation of this prophecy, it was saying that the seed of woman would destroy the serpent and his seed. Now, without going completely back into the science experiment room and in health class, what makes this claim from God so amazing? See, we we don't consider this many times. What makes this prophecy so amazing from God Almighty back in Genesis chapter 3 is that females don't actually carry seeds. Anybody ever thought of that? Females carry eggs. This is not uh, um, an education in that topic. Females carry eggs. They do not carry seeds. And so even in the infancy of this prophecy, God was saying that man would not be involved when he sent that one born of a woman to bruise the head of Satan. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we find out a little bit more. We find we're brought along, if you please. And there are other passages, but in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we're brought a little bit more uh, and told a little bit more about this miracle to come. And the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Please do not go to that passage and misinterpret the passage as God giving some type of message of, of, of inner workings to King Ahaz. He was saying, because of your sinfulness, you can do nothing. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. And so he gives this report in here. And the Hebrew word, what's important, where it says, behold, a virgin, that word virgin is the Hebrew word alma, And it appears nine times in the Old Testament. And here's what's interesting. Eight of those nine times, the word can only apply to a virgin or one who has abstained from sexual intimacy. Guys, I know some of you are like, are we going back into the classroom? It is important that we understand this. Because it is foundational to the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Additionally, this verse tells us that the mere conception and birth of such a child by a virgin would be that supernatural sign from God Almighty. The fact that the phrase, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, it also literally means this, the pregnant virgin shall bear a son. God was saying, one day, a pregnant virgin will bear a son. How? Why would God do that? Why, why is this important? In the New Testament, the angel, you know the story, he comes to Joseph in a dream, the, the, and, and he's speaking the, the word of the Lord to Joseph, and, and uh, Joseph, at this time, he's betrothed. He's under contract, if you please, to marry. He's a spouse to marry, and there's this betrothal period. But during this time, typically about 18 months, they would have had very little contact with one another, and absolutely they would have had no physical intimacy that was unheard of it was not 2016 
It was unheard of in that time period. And I'm guessing, I I don't know, I, I didn't know what kind of classroom environment Joseph had. But I'm guessing Joseph knew exactly how babies were born. I'm guessing uh, he knew that he was not the father of this child. I'm guessing he knows Mary's reputation. He knows that sh- what she's claiming about the origin of this child. But come on, man. You're engaged. You're a spouse to a woman. And the woman comes and says she's great with child. Every man in this room, what's your natural response? Joseph was a real man. He was a just man, the Bible says, but he was also covered with flesh. And so I'm guessing in his heart, he's starting to question. He's like, what is going on here? She tells me she's great with child. What do I do with this information? Well, notice what Matthew chapter 1 says. In fact, turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you have uh, an app or your Bible in your hand, I think it's better. Sometimes we can see it on the screen, but I think it's better that you see it in, in your hand because what we carry is the very word of God. And you have it with you when you walk out of this place as well. Notice what Matthew chapter 1 says. It says in verse number 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, she was betrothed. And before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Let's read on, verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, at this point the angel tells Joseph, he says, this is done so that... Now put your attention back on what God said to the prophet. Now watch what he says. This was all done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Notice, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The world shall call his name Emmanuel. Not just you, Joseph, not just Mary, but the world will reference this child as Emmanuel, God being with us. And so while Joseph is pondering and deliberating what to do, the angel of the Lord says, Joseph, Mary's telling the truth. He said, she's, she's, she's telling you the truth. It doesn't seem like it. You don't understand it. You might not be able to comprehend it, but please don't be like some and just refuse to think about it. Don't be like some and refuse to consider that this is actually something that God has the ability to do. And so he tells him that this is true. And when the angel of the Lord actually references the prophecy that you and I read back in Isaiah chapter 7, and we can even see it in chapter 9 and other places in Scripture, he actually, in verse number 23, calls Mary a virgin. You say, well, hold on, he references Mary by name in verses uh, 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 20 and 21 and says she and Mary. But in verse number 23, he says, behold, he's referencing Mary when he refers to virgin. And it's important to note that I shared with you the Hebrew word that was used in Isaiah chapter 7 for virgin, but the Greek word that is used here in this text for virgin is 
Parthenos. Parthenos is the word. And it actually means virgin. And it always, not some of the time, but it always refers to a woman who has never had sexual intercourse with a man. You say, why is that important? Well, it's important because God gave us his word. And see, only through the study of his word in that original language can we understand what God is actually wanting to communicate to the world. He's saying, it's important that you understand this woman who gave birth to my son was and is a virgin. She was sexually pure. Notice Joseph's immediate response. After the angel communicates this message to Joseph, notice what verse 24 and 25 say. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did, he was obedient, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, Joseph now knew that God was the father of the child, and here's what's really cool. He says, I'm going to stand with my wife. I'm going to stand with her. The world is condemning her. The world is rebuking and ridiculing her. Because just think about this. Here's a Jewish teenage girl. She's found with child while she's a spouse to a man. They could have put her to death. They could have put her to death. He could have publicly humili- humiliated her. And no, he, you know what he says? He says, I believe what God is doing in her life. And he says, I'm going to stand with her. And he took Mary to be his wife. He trusted God. The point is this. When the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived in Mary's womb, she was a virgin. When Mary gave birth to the baby Jesus The Christ child, she was a virgin. And the Bible is clear that the Redeemer would come into the world through the womb of a virgin. And folks, I could go on and on and on talking about the authenticity of the virgin. We didn't even go to Micah. We didn't go to kind of prove out where he was born and all that. But I got to tell you, the virgin was Mary. The virgin who conceived the baby Jesus was Mary. The consequences, number two, the consequences of the virgin birth are pretty evident as well. Notice verse four again, where it says, made under the law. That phrase, made under the law. You see, Jesus was ordinary in that he was a baby who cried. (laughs) He was a baby that slept. He was an infant child that needed sustenance or food. Um, He hungered. And quite frankly, I'm gonna go out a limb on a limb here and say he was a baby that quite frankly, did everything else that your baby has done. But Jesus was extraordinary too. Oh, he was ordinary in those things, but he was extraordinary in the fact that his father was God. He was extraordinary that he was the fulfillment of prophecy, that he was more than what he appeared to be, and that he was and is extraordinary in the fact that he is not only God's son, but he is God himself. I think about... uh, this phrase that I shared with you made under the law. Folks, that just simply means that Jesus as a human was going to be subject to the law as well. And so what does that mean? Just like everyone else, Jesus was a man. Jesus would need to be obedient to the will of God. And Jesus was to live out his life under the law or the teachings of God. He was subject to the same rules, the same uh, teachings and, and principles that God had dictated to his people before he ever made it on the scene. He was made under the law. But unlike everyone else, Jesus the Christ child was more than the ordinary Jew 
because his father was absolutely God. I think about what John said, John himself in John 1.1 said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, we know that whole passage there, and we get to verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then the Bible says, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what John had to say, and there's more. But I think about the Apostle Paul I was sharing last Sunday night in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In verse number 6, it says, which was also in, uh, who being in the form of God, excuse me, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, the consequences of the virgin birth are seen everywhere. You see, because God, a very God, actually became a man. He was born like a man. He lived like a man. He was tempted like a man. He suffered and died like a man. And he was buried like a man. But praise God, he was extraordinary because one day he rose from the grave, unlike any other man. You say, well, that's not true, Lazarus. Well, who raised him? Lazarus didn't get up of his own accord. Jesus did those things through the Father's power. Oh, praise God, our Savior, he conquered death. He conquered the tomb. He conquered sin and sin's penalty so that you and I wouldn't have to do that. Oh, yes, the consequences of the virgin birth is that God became a man. Theologians refer to this as the hypostatic union. That's a, big, that's a big term, the hypostatic union, and simply refers to the two natures of God, deity and humanity coming together as one in the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the cool thing about the hypostatic union. They come together, deity and humanity, and they're separated. You see, one does not dilute the other. One does not mix with the other or hinder the other. Only God could accomplish this. I think, how incredible is that? God says, you know what? I'm going to empty myself and go down as a little child to redeem those that are lost in sin. So, I could go on with the consequences of the virgin birth, but I think really the only point today is why. Why would God do that? And so number three I want to I give you the why here. Notice what verse number 5 says. And Travis read it when he read the whole passage. But in verse number 5, you see, verse number 4 says, and uh, uh, in the fullness of time, it says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. But verse number 5 says the why. It gives us to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. But why would God go to all this effort? I was thinking about this this week. Why would he go to all this effort? Why not use someone like Abraham? Why not use someone like Moses? Why not use one of his choice servants like David? Or my, and you say, who's your all-time favorite? Enoch. We We know very little about Enoch, but there's one thing I know about Enoch. He pleased the Lord. He pleased God. And God said, hey, This guy pleases me. Yeah, he's still man. He's still a sinner. But he pleased me so much, I'm going to translate him on up. 
Oh my goodness. I, I, I asked myself, why didn't God just use someone like that? Why did God have to use something like the virgin birth to accomplish forgiveness of sin? I mean, after all, let's think about it. He is God, right? Why couldn't he, why couldn't he do something else? Why couldn't he use someone? In fact, I was joking with Abby. I said, God could, why, did, why didn't God use Trevor? Why didn't God use Trevor to save the world? The reality is, God did, the, did what he did. God used the virgin birth because no human was or ever could be qualified. Could never be qualified. When you think about the authenticity of the virgin birth, remember we went back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, when Adam sinned, and that verse tells us that because of his sin, death is passed upon all, in that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen, Adam was a sinner, Abraham was a sinner, Moses, David, and even Enoch were sinners. I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. And so no one, quite frankly, would qualify. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As sinners, every human in history under the uh, every human in history is under the condemnation of sin. I think of John or, or, or uh, Romans six twenty three. This condemnation tells us what our sin payment should be. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In John chapter three. In verse number 18, the Bible says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you go a few verses, 18 verses down the road, in verse number 36, John chapter 3 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Oh, listen, we're under the condemnation of sin. There's no way that God could have said, hey, I will choose this, my servant. I will flow through this servant in such a way and use this person so that he or she could wipe out the sins of the world. It couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. As sinners, we can do nothing to pay for our sinfulness. There's nothing we can do to redeem ourselves, although there are a lot of folks that are teaching that we ought to try. There's nothing that you can do, nothing that I can do to pay back God for my sinfulness. That's why I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ and the fact that he paid for it. Isaiah, actually, Isaiah 64, actually tells us and reminds us that you and I are unclean. It says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Oh yes, as sinners, the only way to be delivered from our sin is through the sacrifice of a sinless man. And the only sinless man to have ever lived is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says this in verse number 11 and following. It says, and every priest standeth daily. Notice what they do. Ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. But notice what that verse says. Which can what? Which can what? Never take away sins. But this man, referencing, speaking of Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And then verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected, and I love it again, notice what it says again, for 
ever them that are sanctified. Oh yes, Jesus Christ was the only sacrifice that would do. And he had to come through the vessel of a virgin birth. I think about what the Apostle Paul says. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 as we conclude our thoughts really quickly. In Romans chapter 5, in verse number 15, I want you to notice verse 15 and following what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if though the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Notice what verse 16 says. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, speaking of Adam's sin, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, speaking of Adam's sin, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so by the righteousness of one. Oh, I like this. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I don't know about anybody else this morning, but that passage excites me. Because it talks a lot about what Adam's sin did for us versus what the gift of eternal life does through us, for us through Jesus Christ. Listen, as sinners we needed God to send His Son. You see... As I summarize, when I think about it, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, we know that he died for the sins of who? He died for the sins of who? All men, the whole world. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He died for the sins of the world. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died to redeem us from the curse of sin. When he died on the cross, he died to purchase us from the slavery market of sin. When he died on the cross, he died to make possible our adoption as his sons. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died to do what no other man could do. That was to give us an eternity that is not corruptible. You see, there's a lot of people that will offer you stuff in this world. I mean, these decorations are beautiful, but one day they will fall away. What Jesus Christ offered us will last, as the Bible says, forever and ever and ever. Notice what Peter said to those Jews that were dispersed, those Jews that were on the run. Notice what he says to try and encourage these Jews in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18 and 19. He says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation or conduct, received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, born of a virgin, Why? Why in the world would God do that? The simple answer? 
because there was no other way. And I'm thankful, I'm grateful for it. There was no other way. He had to do it. It was his very nature to do it. It would have been inconsistent of himself not to do it. Without the virgin birth, there's no savior. Without the virgin birth, there's no salvation. There's no Christian. There's no need or reason to celebrate. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, his claims, his teaching, and his words would be useless. And I'll even go a step further. It would be a lie. It would be a lie. The virgin birth, I'm going to go over here to illustrate this as we close. This door right here, as many of you know, has been taken off its hinges many different times for plays and musicals. But what I find in these hinges is a pin. You see, the pin or the hinge pin is what keeps that door doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Oh, certainly the handle has its part. The door frame has its part. The door itself has its part. But without those hinge pins holding actually the hinge, not the hinge themselves, but the pin, without the pin in the hinges, that door inevitably falls. Without the virgin birth, Christianity is like that door. Think about it. Without the virgin birth, Christianity is like that door. Without the hinge pins, it will actually fall on its side. And so I simply ask you this morning, have you believed the gospel? You see, because the gospel message has to include the virgin birth. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. It includes that. It also includes the fact that he lived 33 and a third years, a sinless life, never committed one sin. He was tempted as we are, but without sin, Hebrews 4 tells us that. It includes the fact that he suffered the shame and the anguish and the punishment and the brutality of the death on the cross as the atonement to pay that that penalty that we could not pay for our sinfulness. The Bible also shares with us that Jesus Christ was Buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, though, the good news of the gospel is that he arose again. And he conquered all of it. So that we wouldn't have to face it. And here's the crazy thing. A lot of people will try to take bits and pieces of that story. You cannot do that. You cannot do that and really be able to celebrate the Christ of Christmas. And so I ask, have you believed the gospel? If you have, then it's a time to rejoice in what I like to say, Christ-miss. Christ-miss is the season that we celebrate. But if you've never believed the gospel, I simply ask, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I mean, if you need more proof, please come see me. We can sit down and go through prophecy after prophecy. We can go through Scripture and you say, I don't believe Scripture. Then I would encourage you to look to the creator of this universe and start there. Let's start on a level that you can agree with. And let's get to the point because you see my Bible tells me that God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. His desire is that this Christmas that you trust the Christ of Christmas as your Lord and Savior. Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? So that you and I could be saved.
I pray that you and I will re- rejoice in that, those who have trusted him. But I also pray if you're here and you've never done that, that you'll do that as well. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.